Good morning, church. Um, today's reading is taken from the book of John, uh, chapter. Uh, hang on a sec. Chapter two, verses thirteen to twenty-five. So, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing, and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I'm sorry I can't be with you in person. But today's text, uh, the text that God has chosen for us, leads to this conclusion. This is John chapter 4, where Jesus speaks to the woman in Samaria and says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Verse 24, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Today's text looks forward to the time where God's people can worship anywhere in the spirit and in truth. And though I'm not there with you, we are worshiping God together. And it doesn't matter the place, because we are the church, his people, and we will worship God in spirit and in truth. But let's pray that that will happen this morning with the power of the spirit. Lord, we come to you to listen to the truth of your word. And we pray that as the Spirit comes and speaks to us and applies this truth into our life, that we'll be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A zealous person in Christianity is preeminently a person of one thing. It's not enough to say that they are earnest. They are earnest, strong, uncompromising, meticulous, wholehearted, and fervent in spirit. They only see one thing. They care for one thing. They live for one thing. They're swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. If he is consumed in the very burning, he cares not for it. He's content. He feels it like a lamp. He's able to burn. If he's consumed in burning, he has but done the work for which God appointed him, wrote Bishop J.C. Ryle on this topic of zeal. Are you zealous 
for God? Are you zealous to please God? Are you zealous for anything? What gets you out of bed? After Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus' disciples remembered this event that we just read, cleansing of the temple, and they thought of Psalms chapter 69, zeal for your house will consume me. They saw the zeal of Jesus. His zeal for the holiness of his father's house made him angry. Not the kind of anger that is sinful, but a righteous anger. The kind of anger that arises, that should arise in us if we see gross injustice. If we see the innocent made guilty, or the guilty that go free, or Christ's name being desecrated. And if we don't get angry, that, there, there, that means there's something wrong with our values, how we're calibrated as people. Yes, there's sometimes um, need to be this just anger. Jesus was angry at the temple. <laughs> Jesus was angry at the sin that was occurring in the temple. He wanted to get rid of it. He, he, he came to get rid of it. And I hope by the end of the sermon, we'll see the greatness of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and ask whether we're sufficiently zealous for our own holiness, whether we're seeking the church to be a place that's worthy of Jesus' name and whether we're consumed with admiration and gratitude for the love and the zeal of Jesus. Jesus enters the temple for Passover. And it's hard to overstate the importance of temples in the ancient, uh, the temple in the ancient Israel. The temple was the place where God promised to dwell. The temple is the place where the eternal would meet the temporal. Uh, It would be the place where heaven and, and the earth mingled together. It was the place where God would meet his people. But it wasn't just a religious center. It was also the center of Jewish government, law, even taxation. These days, American media has made a big deal out of January 6th, the insurrection, the mob that stormed the Capitol Hill in the U.S. Well, the temple was the Capitol Hill and the Supreme Court and the National Cathedral all together mingled as one. And Jesus entered it and he made a mess of it. We're told that he went there to worship as part of the Passover festival. But what he found in the temple was people making mockery of his father's house. They made it into a place to make money. It's not that actually selling these things was intrinsically wrong. After all, you weren't going to bring a cattle or a sheep all the way from Galilee or Greece or even Rome to the temple. If you came from these places, you also needed the right money, right currency to pay for these things. You see, the problem wasn't the business. It was where they were taking place. It was in the temple courts. They were in the sanctuary where people offer sacrifice and pray and worship to get their sins forgiven. They made that sacred place a place of market. And that made Jesus angry. And no one was allowed to bring a weapon into the temple. So Jesus made a weapon out of some cords and he started to drive the money changers and the animals 
away. This event was so extraordinary that all four Gospels recorded, even though they did record it in different places. And the people watching understood exactly what Jesus was doing and why Jesus was doing. No one questions Jesus' motive. They don't ask, why are you doing this? They ask, verse 18, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Yes, I agree that this was not right. Yes, I agree that the market shouldn't go on like this. But who are you to change the, the arrangement of the temple? Who are you to drive these people away? So Jesus answers in verse 19, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. He was saying something far more than they could understand. They didn't understand. They scoffed, saying, well, it took them 46 years so far that it was continuing the construction. 46 years so far to build it. According to a commentator, 18,000 men was contracted full-time. They worked full-time for all those years until it was finished. 18,000 men. Uh, some stones, which you can still see in Jerusalem, weighed as much as 70 tons. How can you build something like that in three days, they asked. Of course, the punchline is in verse 21. But the temple he had spoken was his body. This is what he was doing. You see, one level, Jesus was just clearing the temple because it had become the marketplace, a marketplace. But on another level, what Jesus was saying is that that, temple is now no longer necessary because he is the true temple. He is the place where heaven meets the earth. The eternal mingles with the temporal. He is the place where God can meet and unite with human beings. That structure, he's saying, is no longer necessary because he is here. When they met Jesus, they met God himself. More than that, he was saying that all these animals are no longer necessary because if they came to him in faith, their sins would be forgiven. Back in chapter 1, uh, verse 29, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus came to be that Passover sacrifice that dies on our behalf. Jesus came to be the sacrifice of atonement that no longer these animals and the temple was necessary. Of course, none of them under, understood what was going on. None of them understood um, any of this until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Verse 22. When he was raised from the dead, they believed in Jesus and the scripture that testified about him. The part of the temple that you can see today, if you go to Jerusalem, is called the Western Wall, except actually um, it's colloquially known as the Wailing Wall because the Jewish people go there and they mourn the destruction of the temple. But if they knew Christ... They wouldn't have to mourn. The temple is obsolete. It's no longer necessary because of Jesus. He is the temple. 
Actually, he did something that even more astonishing than making the temple obsolete, not necessary. You know, back then in Jerusalem, <clears throat> about 80,000 people apparently lived. And during festival days like the Passover, it swelled, the city swelled to 300,000 people. People from all over the world came to worship in Jerusalem, to go to the temple. But none of them, all those people who came uh, to the temple, none of them knew God personally. They went to the temple, the priest interceded on their behalf, a sacrifice on their behalf. Even the high priest, only once a year, entered the Holy of Holies. But think about what God did because of Jesus. Because Jesus he himself was broken down and rose again. Because he took the punishment for our sins. Because he removed the barrier between God and us. Truly took away our sins. Now we can have a direct relationship with God. So listen to this. The New Testament calls not just Jesus, the temple, but he calls the church, us, the temple. Chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? It goes further. Paul says that each of us, our bodies, are temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples? Of the Holy Spirit. So we say to the world now, if you want to meet God, come to church. Come. If you want to be forgiven, talk to any of us because we will, we will tell you about Jesus who you can meet personally. I've been to Jerusalem a couple of times and as a Christian, it, it, it is a remarkable place and it's a, it's a, it's an unforgettable place in many, many ways. You can go to Bethlehem, to the place where Jesus was born and pray there. You can go to Nazareth where Jesus grew up. You can go to the Jordan River and see people baptized um, there. You can walk the Via Dolorosa, the, the path that Jesus took carrying the cross all the way to Golgotha. You can visit the place where Golgotha probably was. You can visit the place where he was laid on the tomb. But because he rose again from the dead, all those different places that I've mentioned, well, none of them, none of them are any holier than Chatin Anglican Church this morning. And wherever you are this morning, wherever we are this morning, because Jesus, through His Spirit, is wherever His people are. We have been made into His body, His church, the temple where people can see and meet God. But this means we have to take our responsibility as being the living stone of that uh, great temple seriously. It might mean that we need to examine who we are and then and, and get rid of the sins that are in our hearts. Paul uses the temple language to describe uh, what Christian life looks like. Uh, and back in, uh, in Romans chapter 1 through 11, he explains the gospel. And then he turns around in chapter 12 and he says this, Therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
we are to live our lives as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know, sacrifice, that means something needs to die. That's what that means. We are to kill our old self, the, the, the sin that is in us. And sacrificing is hard, killing anything, even if that sinful part of our life, that is hard. But that's what Christian life looks like. When Christ comes into our hearts, the first thing that he sees is he, he should be giving us this desire to get rid of this sin because there's righteous anger against sin. God does not want to, God cannot dwell with all the sin in our hearts. But you know, did you know that North and South Korea are technically still at war and are mystics? which is an agreement to stop fighting for a period of time, was signed in July 1953. But no peace treaty between the two countries ever was signed. So North Korea you know, lived its own life. South Korea does its own thing, although technically at war. And that often, I think, is unfortunately our attitude towards sin. We're technically at war, but we really live with divided hearts. We're okay with the state of, of, of how we are now. Well, Jesus did not tolerate sin, not in the temple. He faced all sorts of sins in the world. But when he entered the temple, he made a whip out of cords and purified it. Because he had to. Because this is where God promised to be. And now church, we are the temple of God then there must be righteous anger in us against sin in us. Because the Bible does not speak gently of sin. It says run away from temptation. It says we are to die to, ki- to, to sin. We are to kill sin. Or as one uh, Puritan, John Owens, put it, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Friends, is there hypocrisy in our life where public persona... And that that gap between public persona and private character. Will you resolve to drive those sins away, that hypocrisy away? And secondly, if the church then also together is the temple, will you also be zealous for its holiness? It's sad that so many people are suspicious of the church. Recently, I was talking to a student who told me that he isn't suspicious of Jesus. He believes in Jesus, but he is suspicious of the church because he sees the divisions in the church and the fightings in the church, hypocrisy in the church. The Southern Baptist Church in the U.S. recently was exposed in pleading ignorance when they knew fully well that these sort of sexual predators were going from one church to another, and they didn't do anything about it. Some churches seem more interested in gaining political power and influence than preaching the gospel and saving lives. Some churches are function like million million dollar business, perhaps more introduced, more interested in producing music or conferences or books than actually in the business of sharing the gospel. What would Jesus say about the modern church, the state of the modern church today? But more importantly, what would Jesus say? If he came to Shatin Anglican today, would he find a church full of worshippers who have come for the right reasons? 
to come to know God, to be one with Him, and to know Him intimately, give all of our lives to Him as a spiritual act of worship. Now, let's face it, we come for all sorts of different reasons. For our children's English, or education, or even romance. I have to examine my heart that I don't work and serve in the church for my own sake, but for Christ's sake. But whatever reason brought us, let's remind ourselves that the church, Chatin Anglican, is God's temple. Let's pray that our motivation for coming each week will be to know and meet that glorious God and to reflect His character, His grace and love and holiness, and let that be known in the world. And in order to do that, let's commit ourselves to know and to be known to one another so that we can be accountable to each other, so that we can grow in holiness and love and grace together. I know that that is hard, revealing ourselves and inviting others to speak into our life. But the church is a one-another community. We are to love one another. We are to carry each other's burdens. We are to uh, use our gifts to build each other up. We are to speak God's truth in love to each other. And that starts with invitation for others to come into our life and keep us accountable. I hope you can find maybe a a prayer partner um, that you can be accountable to. Somebody who you meet regularly to say, these are my sins, could you help me? Or uh, somebody who can tell you honestly uh, what you need to do to continue to grow. I hope you can do that in small groups. I hope you are developing deep friendships, spiritual friendships, who can speak God's truth into your life. That's why the small groups are so important. That's why revealing ourselves to others and letting others speak into our life is so important. We are God's temple. We cannot sit by when there is filth in this church. We need to get rid of it. We need to continue to grow in Christ's likeness. And to that end, can I ask that you keep me accountable? Speak your, your God's truth in love to me. When you see me doing something wrong, or when you see me neglecting my duties, or whatever it is, not to tell me off, or to blow off steam, but because you are concerned for Christ and His glory in the church. Let's be zealous together for God's glory here in Chatin Anglican Church. Jesus was zealous for God's house. And that did not make Him popular. Zeal for your house will consume me. Quoted in verse 17 is taken from Psalm chapter 69, verse 9. Zeal for your house will consume me. Well, that sounds like that it's saying that, you know, God's, uh, Jesus' zeal will drive him, uh, motivate him. But that's not actually uh, what that means. Don Carson, the New Testament scholar, says that's clear in the context. In fact, what it means is that zeal for God's house will make him unpopular, an object of scorn, and he will be consumed and wasted away because of the zeal for God's house. For example, if you turn to chapter 69, verse 9, it goes on to in verses 10 and 11. 
It goes on like this. And when I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people will make sport of me. What he's saying is here is the zeal for God's house will make him an object of derision and scorn. It will kill him, is what it's saying. Later in the psalm, Psalm 69, verse 21, there's a line that's like this. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Some of you might recognize when this is alluded to later in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 20, uh, John chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus says on the cross, I am thirsty. And what do they do? They don't feed him water. Goes on to say, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked the sponge in it, and the sponge uh, on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted up to Jesus' lips. You see, the zeal for God's house consumed Jesus. It killed him. Jesus' zeal for the temple, though, was ultimately for us. He wanted us to be able to meet God. He wanted our sins to be forgiven. He wanted us to be his bride, spotless. He wanted us to be the temple of his spirit. He was zealous for us. That's who he is. Someone who is consumed for, the, for, uh, for his love for us. And I hope that we, the church, will respond to this groom with the right passion and love, a zeal that befits our groom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus his zeal for us, to unite us to himself, to make us spotless and clean, to make us his bride, to, so that we could spend eternity with him. And Lord, help us to get a glimpse of his greatness, his beauty, his love, and his holiness, his grace. Lord, and we pray that by the power of your Spirit, that you would change us and you would motivate us to be like him. Lord, help us no longer to tolerate sin. Help us no longer to uh, be uh, satisfied with where we are. But Lord, help us. Give us that desire to be more like you, to grow in you, uh, so that we might be a bride that really shines like our groom Jesus. Speak to us and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Hugh, for the message. Um, we are going to sing the closing song, Oh, Praise the Name. And it's also our offering song. Um, you could respond by giving your money in the offering box at the back or do it electronically. Please stand, let's sing it together. <laughs>